Hello, my friends. My name is Aureli. Education Monsters is a podcast that discusses multicultural education. Hello, everyone at Education Monsters. I'm here on Sunday with my friend Chieko, and she's this amazing student that I met on italki. So let me introduce this awesome person to you. So Chieko was born in New Jersey, and uh, she studied in Washington, D.C. in international affairs at the, at the George Washington University. And she also had a minor in Japanese and spent a year in Tokyo. And right now she's moved to Los Angeles, where she's working as a paralegal. Hello, welcome. Hi, Orly. <laughs> hey, good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Well, that's so super awesome that we were able to uh, do this episode, like after talking so many times about uh, learning French and also uh, talking about immigration, I felt like you were a perfect candidate for this podcast. So I'm so happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So uh, I've introduced the education part of your personality. Could you please uh, let us know what was your culture growing up and also how was it like uh, being a small kid? Okay. Um, so culturally, my mom is from Japan. Um, she was born and raised in Yamaguchi, which is in the southern part of the main island, Honshu. So she didn't come to the United States until she was about like 28. And she came here to visit a friend, essentially. She had an American friend who she wanted to spend some time with. And um, while she was here, she met my dad at a party in New York City um, and I guess she never went back you know the rest is history did they get married right away they got married pretty quickly from what I can tell and um, honestly my grandfather wasn't like super happy about it from what I can tell from my mom my grandparents on my mother's and my father's side fought on opposite sides of World War II like my mom's dad was in the Japanese army and my dad's dad fought in like Europe for the Americans so I mean my American side of the family wasn't too upset from what I can tell but my grand my mom's father wasn't very happy with the situation. From what I can tell, he came around to meet after he kind of met my dad. You know, my dad's a pretty funny guy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> my grandfather came around after a little bit and kind of accepted it. So um, they never went back. They lived in New York for a while. My dad's an artist. So like he, you know, does painting and comics and all of that. And he randomly, from what I can tell, was one day like, I want to move to the countryside. So um, even though they were living in New York for many years, they came down to this tiny little um, town in southern New Jersey. It's called Newport. It's in the middle of nowhere. You know, there's like cows and corn and absolutely nothing. I've been there. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been there. I, I drove through it. Really? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, so they randomly went down to the countryside because my dad just decided out of nowhere that he wanted to live in the middle of nowhere, I think, <laughs> after New York City. And um, they bought a house in this, like, like I said, this random tiny little neighborhood where there's not a lot of anything really like there's no restaurants and the closest stores are maybe like a 20 minute drive away so it's really like the middle of nowhere it was kind of a random move on their part and I don't think they really even knew anyone in that area so it was just completely nowhere and then um they had me yay you made it (laughs) I made it yes um after they moved they decided to have a kid but um because they moved to the middle of nowhere there like um my mom was basically the only like minority in the area from what I can tell super white super Trump supporting now that kind of helps give it view of what that area is. So um, I grew up in an area that was extremely, you know, um, not multicultural aside from my mother. So that was kind of interesting in that because I grew up like that, I always never really thought of myself as very different. But um, in retrospect, a lot of the kids always referred to me as like, you know, their Japanese friend, even though um, my mom was afraid that teaching me Japanese would kind of mess up my languages because they're very different. So she like just taught me English as a child. So I didn't even speak Japanese. Um, I considered myself to be pretty American. And um, my friends 
still very much refer to me as like their Japanese friend because my mom has an accent. She's very obviously Japanese and I was kind of like, I was different in that way. So um, even though I didn't personally identify as very different, it was something that my friends always saw. Like, you know, they would joke about my mom's accent or about me being Japanese or about like, you know, Japanese stereotypes and stuff. Just, you know, jokingly as friends. But like, it was definitely something that was a part of my upbringing. So did you feel like your mom purposely got you into the Western culture because she felt some somehow discriminated against when she came to the States? And so she didn't want that for you. So that's why she put this effort into uh, speaking English at home or almost like cutting off the Japanese root from your education. Yeah, I think that's part of it, honestly. And from what I can tell, I feel like that's kind of common in with Japanese immigrants in particular. For example, like I know a lot of like Chinese, Korean, even like so Southeast Asian immigrants, their parents tend to kind of want to preserve the culture. But with Japan, I feel like the instinct is to assimilate into the American culture. With my mom, I know that she definitely like had a hard time with like, you know, people kind of laughed at her accent a little bit. And, you know, even though she speaks English very well, she does still have an accent after living here for many, many years. Um, and she's kind of always been a little bit embarrassed about that. So um, she's told me in retrospect, because um, I did eventually end up studying Japanese when I got a little bit older and I'm, I wanted to on my own. And I used to joke, I was like, mom, why didn't you like force me to learn this? And then I wouldn't have to do it now. And she said, you know, I was really worried that it would mess up your English. And I wanted you to speak like perfect English. So um, I, I just didn't do it. That's interesting. Uh, did your dad also learn Japanese? When they first started dating, I can tell, I know that he learned like a little bit, like, you know, he learned enough to impress my mom's dad. When he first went to Japan, like I was told that he like memorized this like little speech about it's nice to meet you. And I, you know, I, I want to be with your daughter. And I hope that like, you know, we, you know, we'll be together good as a family or like something like very like That's formal so Japanese. Yeah, it's cute. Um, so he did study a little bit and um, he spent some time there in Japan, you know, um, with my mom's siblings and stuff on his own kind of trying to learn the culture. But um, he didn't, he never really got the hang of it. And he doesn't, he doesn't really speak Japanese. So now um, when me and my mom speak in Japanese, he doesn't, you know, understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. So it's always delicate with in-laws, like whether you come from different cultures or not. But so did he know in advance that your grandfather was not totally accepting the relationship because of his American roots? And how did he prepare for that? I don't know if he knew in advance that it was going to be a problem. I'm actually not even sure if my mom knew in advance. It was kind of like, you know, an unknown thing, her telling her dad that, hey, I'm dating an American right now. Um, she'd actually been engaged to a Japanese man before she went to America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oops. So like, it was kind of a big, it was kind of a big surprise, like out of nowhere, like, oh, just kidding. Like, um, I'm actually engaged to an American now. So I think it was kind of a surprise to basically all parties involved, like what was going to happen at that point. And um, like I said, he was kind of upset. I'm not entirely sure where exactly the satisfaction in this came from. If it was just that like she was dating someone outside of her culture, or if he still had any lingering, lingering feelings about Americans after like the whole World War II incident that he was involved in. So um, he's a, he was a very quiet man on that subject. Um, he's If it helps, he's always been very, nothing but loving to me. You know, after when I was a kid, I remember he was always very, very kind to me and never made it my problem. So um, he definitely got over it, but it's hard to tell at first. I know, I know my mom told me that she used to like write letters to him after she first told him and he was upset. She'd like write letters and like tell him how she was doing and like, you know, say she still loves him and, you know, she still, you know, this doesn't mean anything about her, how she feels about her family or anything, but her decision to move to America and marry, marry an American. And eventually after she continued to do that, he was like, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. Like, okay, we're cool. Oh, that's so cute. I mean, it's like a movie almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's super interesting because in the end, um, they could have the choice to also move to Japan and live there, but somehow they picked the United States. Do you know why? Um, well, my mom, from 
someone I can tell really liked America, honestly, when she, she'd originally just come for a visit, but she was having a great time. Um, even at the time, um, I think she was like 28 when she first, when she came to here, her English was pretty good. Um, she was a translator. So like even in Japan, like before she ever came to America, she was an English translator. She like majored in English and she's always been very interested in English from what I can tell. So she's always kind of liked the American culture and um, they're very different. Like Japanese and American culture are very different in terms of, I almost want to say individuality. Mm-hmm. Like in Japan, there's a very big emphasis on kind of, what's the word? Being part of the group. And in America, it's like almost the exact opposite where it's like, you know, I'm my, I'm my own person. And mm-hmm. it's very yeah. much like, yeah. So I think my mom really liked that, honestly. From what I can tell, she was kind of like a weirdo in Japan. Like she's always told me, like I was kind of a hippie. Like she's like, oh, I wore jeans, which apparently was like very weird at the time when she was in college. And she was kind of a little bit strange. Oh, what did people wear at the time? I mean, still like skirts and stuff for women, I think. It was considered a little bit hippie for a, a woman to be wearing like jeans and stuff. So I think she always was a little bit like outside of the norm from what I can tell from what she said to me. Oh, I see. So was uh, her family originally traditional and did she rebel against that or were they pretty open-minded and very um, like progressive? I think from what I can tell, they were pretty traditional. At least my grandfather in particular, you know, he was a World War II soldier. Um, He was pretty, you know, strict on the traditional Japanese rules of like, you know, respect and tradition and all of that from what I can tell. Um, But my mom is very much not like that. So um, she went to Tokyo like I said, um, the, my she's originally from a like a small like countryside type place in the south of Japan, and then she went to Tokyo for college, and you know was her kind of rebellious self. I guess that was her way. I don't know if she'd call it being rebellious, but it kind of it fits the mold of you know the rebellious teen uh-huh, going into the. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering this side of it, because, you know, when you grow up in a very strict family, you tend to sort of uh, go the opposite way, just to, like, make a statement about freedom. And you know what? Like, I'm my own person. So I'm just going to do, like, the things that I want to do and not follow up on the family's tradition. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like that kind of definitely fits with my mom. And, you know, she even left the entire country. Um, She has two siblings who fit a little bit more normally into the mold. Like, her sister still lives in Yamaguchi, where she's from originally. And she has, you know, um, my cousin's two children. Um, and my uh, un- my uncle also lives in the same place, Yamaguchi. They all live, you know, in the same town still as when they grew up um, and had more traditional, I guess, lives after that. Mm-hmm. So my mom, my, like in my entire family, my mom is the only one who is not on the Japanese side. My mom's the only one who doesn't still live in Japan. Uh-huh. And when you spent a year in Tokyo, did you go visit Yamaguchi? Yes, I did. Um, so I've visited Yamaguchi um, several times throughout my life. It's honestly not as much as I wanted to. I visited once when I was like seven. I, vis- I spent the summer once when I was like, 16 and then when I was in college I also went there when I was when I was in Japan for the year so um it's kind of a weird experience honestly because I have like this whole family basically my entire family my mom's entire family who lives in Japan where um I didn't speak Japanese like at all basically until I was almost a teenager like I said I grew up not speaking it and then it was basically when I I mean I think around 12 I decided hey like I should speak Japanese and I started studying kind of on my own and um when that happened my mom supported me obviously and like I gradually got better um but for a long time like I couldn't even speak to this entire half of the family like most of them don't speak any English Um, my grandfather doesn't speak any English so it was weird honestly like I would be there and I needed my mom to translate and I couldn't it was hard to connect almost Mm -hmm. but um, when I went back when I was 20 I I, I was 20 when I went for the year in Tokyo I could at that point speak decent Japanese to the point where I could at least communicate Um, so it was honestly very strange (laughs) I don't know just kind of like I, I felt like this very big disconnect I think just because the vision of myself 
off as Japanese, but uh, being very different from actual Japanese people, I think was yeah. very obvious. But so do you think that they treated you differently because of the language? So do they see you more of an American if you speak only English and the second you start learning Japanese, do they feel like they could treat you more as one of them? I feel like I've, I'm all, I always have and probably always am going to be the American. I, I For one, I don't look particularly Japanese. I'm like, you know, that's the thing with happies is compared to Americans, I'm always told like, oh, like there's something different. Like, what, what are you? Like, what's your race? Because like there's something slightly different. But with Japanese people, like I, it's very obvious that I'm not Japanese like fully. Like, so um, I'm always kind of going to be a foreigner, I think, in that aspect because Japan is so homogenous. They're like 98% Japanese ethnicity. So it's very rare to see foreigners in the first place. So even if I speak Japanese, um, you know, I, I have an accent. It's definitely far from perfect. I'm never going to be seen by them as it's called the word is gaijin foreigner and I think that that's kind of what I will be seen as when I went there for a year that was kind of hard for me just because I was studying it I always had considered it and I mentioned that because I'm from a very non-multicultural town growing up everyone my friends always were like oh she's the Japanese friend she's Japanese and I just kind of was like yeah I'm Japanese it, it is who I am but then when I kind of went there and was there for an extended period and was able to communicate in the language it was very much like I'm not really Japanese either like it's, <laughs> you know that's a half I'm somewhere in between somewhere strange yeah. it's a weird place to be and so were there periods of your time when you felt more American versus more Japanese like how did you balance your identities and identities are plural yeah no it is um honestly when I'm being Amer as among Americans I think I'm considered a little bit quieter like my friends were always like and I'm, I was you know I'm the stereotype of like studious like I was always really serious about my grades in high school and all of that so my friends were always like oh like she's so you know she's so Japanese <laughs> um and it was something I never really thought about it was just something I was told and kind of had internalized but um in J by Japanese standards I'm actually quite loud like my uncle my mom's brother I spent a lot of time with him when I went there and he was kind of like oh like you're so American like when I would like talk so but yeah. do you mean by that loud as in your voice is loud or do you mean outspoken as in uh you say your opinions a, a little bit of both I think I'm a little bit like louder like literally I think compared to like a, a, a Japanese girl or like a traditionally I think obviously there's variation nowadays but I think traditionally I'm a little bit different and um in giving my opinion to like I'd say like oh I don't like that which is a little bit honestly strong for Japanese people <laughs> or like things like that or like I don't like that type of food I was I, I think I was a little too direct it's also partially I think a language problem to like my inability to say it like you know eloquently very politely um so it's kind of, but he would always like joke be like oh you're so American like you're such an American girl and so that's funny like could you get away with that like almost as in like hey be more compassionate with me because I'm learning like yeah no I mean I, there was that there's definitely a lot of like flexibility it's not um I know people from other cultures like it's like I think Spanish-speaking cultures tend to be like they're kind of almost made fun of if they don't speak the language perfectly but I feel like Japan is the opposite partially because not a lot of people speak Japanese who are foreigners so like to see someone who looks like me speaking Japanese is like almost rare to an extent so people are always like wow like you speak Japanese wow and I'm almost like no like I should speak Japanese better I kind of am Japanese like I have a passport see and um I, but the expectation is very low for me just because um I don't look like it they know that I'm from the states so the fact that I speak it like at all is kind of defying expectations already at that level that is interesting because I thought that Japan did not uh, allow the dual citizenship okay so 
it's complicated in that I'm, I'm born with dual citizenship. Um, I have a Japanese passport, but they do make you choose at age 20. So um, when I went there, it was like the last year that I could go on a Japanese passport. So I did, so I wouldn't have to deal with like the whole student visa thing. Um, so since then I've, I've officially lost the citizenship. I chose the American one. They let you keep it until you're 20, which is like their version of 18, I think like the legal age. That's so interesting. Thank you for that. Like I was not aware of this. <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird thing. A lot of like happies like me tend to like have a lot of complaints about it. I do too. I mean, Japan is a country where like they're losing their population constant. Like, you know, the population is going down constantly. I don't feel like they're in a position where they should be picky about their citizens, but that's like my personal opinion because I didn't want to lose the citizenship. Mm-hmm. Did your mom also give up her citizenship? No, my mom's actually still a Japanese citizen. Um, She's got a green card. Um, So that she reviews like every 10 years. <laughs> I don't know. She, she kind of does. She's lived in America a very long time. You know, like I'm, I'm 26. She's lived here for longer than my entire life. She's lived here very long and she never, I don't know. I, I feel like part of her just doesn't want to give up, you know, that part of her. Yeah, it feels like it's only paperwork, but in the end, it's telling you a lot about how you feel inside. Yeah, I feel like it's very, it's not, it's it's a very emotional decision at that point for her, because I mean, logically, it w- makes a lot of sense for me for her to be an American citizen. She could vote and, you know, she's interested in politics and I think she wants to vote. She doesn't go back to Japan too frequently. It's very expensive. So it's not even like a logistics. It would be easier for her. I think it would be easy for her to be an American citizen, but she just really doesn't want to give up that part of her. And I understand it. Yeah. How did you feel when you lost that uh, Japanese citizenship? Was that like a part of you was lost? It was, it was hard, honestly, making that decision. When I first went to Japan for the year, when I went to Tokyo to study abroad for one year, I was kind of like, I could, maybe I'll love it and I'll choose to be a Japanese citizen. But um, I just, I decided against it. I decided that, you know, I didn't want to live in Japan full time. It's very different. And the work culture is very different. Um, I don't know how to quite explain this, but it's very, what's the correct words for the Japanese work culture. It's a lot more restrictive, I think. A lot of people tend to work in one company for their entire lives. You're expected to kind of like go out drinking with your partner, with um, your coworkers and stuff after work. It's a very cohesive unit mm-hmm. that continues even after work hours. And there's like a very big emphasis on like hierarchy in Japan mm-hmm. that I didn't really think I could deal with very well. So um, I decided that like working in Japan wasn't really for me. So um, I, ma- I made the decision that year that like I would pick the American citizenship. I didn't think I'd, I could ever work in Japan. And I don't know, it seemed like a big decision for me at time. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us more about that one year in Japan? Were you taking classes and working or just taking classes? Um, at first, I was just taking classes. Honestly, in Sofia University, it's, it's famous for being a very international campus. There's a lot of like, ret- they're called returnees, people who are Japanese who maybe grew up in the States, and then their parents want them to go to college in Japan. So they go to Sofia University. to like. Learn. So it's like, it, it's a very, it was a very international campus, honestly. And I was able to take um, classes in like Japanese sociology and anthropology and like literature. It was really interesting. After about halfway through the year, I decided to start working working to get some extra money. So I was an English tutor. Fun fact, one of my students, her mother like owns a sumo wrestling team. So like she invited me to come see the sumo wrestling, like a ringside sumo wrestling tournament. It was really cool. That's so awesome. Like, it was really cool. Yeah. Was her son also uh, practicing being a sumo? No, it was it was a daughter actually, and she oh, wasn't okay. the. It was she was pretty small. She was only like ten, so she was. I mean, sumo is not really for women. Um, the mother was uh, like this very powerful, intimidating <laughs> owner of a sumo team, and I always thought that was really cool. That's so awesome. <laughs> 
So um, I did, long story short, I did start working teaching English. To, um, there was an international school where they actually taught in English, like the classes were taught in English, so the kids would grow up bilingual, and there was a very strong need for English tutors, so I, I took that. Yeah, I wanted to know your family's reaction when you told them that you were going to study one year in Japan. Like, were they pretty happy? Were they excited? Did they give you some advice on on how to spend this year like, and how to optimize it? Yeah, my mom was really excited. I mean, every my father was too, obviously, but for my mom, it was kind of cool for her to see me you know, choose essentially, because my mom never forced the Japanese culture on me. So I think she's always kind of happy when she sees me choose aspects of it. Like when I wanted to start speaking it, she was happy. When I, I speak to her now, she's happy. So when she was happy when I decided to go back, a part of her was a little bit nervous about, you know, me like going to meet the family in J like because she knew that would happen. Um, Japan is very formal with a lot of things. So it's like something really weird we always have to do whenever we go back is get a souvenir for like everyone in the entire family from America. Um, Japan is really big on souvenir culture. It's called omiyage. So like whenever I go, we went back to Japan, we'd have to like go find random souvenirs that were like representative of, representative of America to give to everyone in the family as like a sign of respect. But it's so weird because it's not souvenirs of their trip. It's like your regular lifestyles. My life, yes. There. Yeah, like, <laughs> like this is a piece of my life that I'm bringing you. It's not like you went on vacation and brought souvenirs. Like it, the United States is not vacation for you. Yeah. No, in fact, even for um, students who are going to study with like a host family in Japan, they'll often And, like the advice is like bring them a souvenir from like your home country or like you know your hometown or something that's like it's a weird largely pretty big aspect of Japanese culture <laughs> so what kind of souvenir did you bring and what's normal as souvenir is um I mean a lot of recommendations are like a, you know if you go to like university like a t-shirt from your university you know it doesn't have to be like something fancy but it, I mean I think there's a big emphasis on it being unique to where you're from mm -hmm. is like kind of seen as like the ultimate gift so like t-shirts are big um you know um we have family members who like basketball like my mom's brother likes basketball so we would find you know like t-shirts that are like you know local basketball team or like I don't I'm from New Jersey so we don't have a basketball team but like the um or like baseball team the Phillies the Eagles there's our football team so like that kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> you know that like you wouldn't really find in japan like local folk sports team um we brought i brought a lot of honey that's something kind of weird honey is kind of special i think it's very expensive in japan from my understanding so i brought a lot of honey that was like from a local farm <laughs> um oh reese's that was another one peanut butter is kind of rare in japan so you know like reese's peanut butter cups which are peanut mm -hmm. butter chocolate i brought a lot of those for like that wasn't for my family but for like random friends i thought i would meet in like school to like give out so like i brought a lot of reese's peanut butter cups and it was a very stressful thing like it's, uh, every time I go back it's very stressful trying to think this through like what can I give to everyone I know and so is it offensive if you go back each year and they always bring the same thing or do you have to bring something different I wouldn't I don't know if it's offensive per se but I feel like there are definitely people who would take offense like my mom has certain relatives like her aunts and stuff who are very like they care a lot about that kind of thing it's really stressful so I feel like they would talk like oh she brought this last year so like we have to be like really careful <laughs> It's so funny because when I was in Japan, we had to visit lots of temples and sometimes we had uh, amazing guides and they would always buy souvenirs like when they finished uh, the tour. And I'm like, oh, who is this for? And they're like, it's for myself. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Why not? Like, it, it's legitimate. Like, you also, you, you can also buy souvenirs for yourself. Yeah, no, souvenirs in Japan are a really big thing. Like, something interesting about Japan is like, it's a, it's a pretty small country, you know, like objectively, it's a you know tiny island. But almost every like, you know, prefecture or almost 
city you go to, they're going to have um, like a specialty item. I don't know if you've seen these before. They have like characters, like each city will be like represented by like a cute character, like a character mascot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Tokyo is like Funyashi. It's like a, it's like a pear. But anyway, uh, a popular one is like Kumamoto from, from uh, Kyushu. It's like a bear. But a lot of like these districts have like characters, mascots. And when you go there, you buy, you know, like t-shirts or like keychains with the mascot or like they have like food that they sell that has the mascot on them. That's really common. Or um, they have a specialty food um, in almost every area you'll go. Or like every time I travel, they're like, oh, you have to try the ramen there. It's very special or it's different. Or you have to try, you know, the special type of beef. Like all these areas have a specialty that you have to try. And um, because of that, you kind of have to bring like souvenirs of it back to home. Like if you work in an office, almost they're always going to like bring back souvenirs from anytime they go on a trip for like, you know, some type of like cookie or snack or something to give to the entire office that's special to wherever they went. I was wondering if those souvenirs are associated with trips because you know how if they don't get a lot of vacation, then it's also important to optimize this and to get like the most out of it. Like even like buying tokens to remind you that you went on this very special trip. So do you think it could be because of the, the, the lack of vacation or maybe less vacation because you know how in France we get five weeks minimum. Mm. So the culture's vacation is like, like it's weird if you don't go on vacation. So it's so ingrained into our everyday. Like we, all we talk about is like vacation. That's interesting really with France. I know Japan is probably not like that. There is a pretty big emphasis on work and on like even overtime. Like, Like, it's a, it's a big problem about people being forced to work overtime. So, like, the work culture there is pretty intense. Like I mentioned, I decided I didn't want to work there. That might, you know, be part of it that they feel like, oh, we have to maximize and decide. I also feel like part of it is respect with the whole, you know, giving mm-hmm. gifts. It's like showing the other people in your office or your family members that I thought of you yeah. while I was gone. Like, I, I thought of you specifically and I picked something nice for you. I feel like that's also a pretty big part of it. It's nice, though, but do you sometimes feel like it's forced? It's like, yeah. yeah. It is stressful, I think, to have to you know think of it or like to try to not or that it would be it could be construed as offensive if you didn't just by accident you know maybe you don't have enough time or you can find something it's very stressful <laughs> like my dad who's you know the american when me and my mom were like running around trying to find souvenirs she's like what are you guys doing like why like why is this such a big deal for you guys <laughs> it's stressful in like it's almost a comedic type of way i'd say <laughs> it is so funny and so you were talking about food earlier um food in japan versus food in the u.s Tell us more. What are your preferences? <laughs> and what do you think about the Japanese food in the US? Or oh, okay. urban food in Japan? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all our interesting topics. First off, I want to start off by saying I love Japanese food just a lot on principle. My mom cooked it a lot growing up, so I grew up consistently eating some type of rice and meat or what or whatever. Um, I feel like the big difference between Japanese and American food is that in Japan there's a big emphasis on like purity of ingredients. So for example, if you're going to go for a very expensive meal, it's probably going to be like sushi where very little was done to the actual fish like it's not like sauteed it's going to be like a raw fish that was like drawn straight from the ocean from like this very probably like special location or something like that like that's the type of thing that's going to be like a really fancy meal in japan is like the where the ingredient is very pure or for example that. yeah and it's cool i think it's cool like i like that I, I like that too. So they don't like do a lot to the food, if that almost makes sense. Obviously, there's an art to like cutting it and presenting it and stuff. But the pu- purity of the ingredient itself, I think, is a huge emphasis that I don't see the equivalent of in America. Not too much. Something weird about me. I really love, I love beef. I love steak. And Japan is has a lot of districts that are famous for their cows. So for example, Kobe beef is probably the most famous one. I went to Kobe to have Kobe beef. <laughs> 
Mm -hmm. um, but that's another one where it's like purity of the ingredient. Like they don't do hardly anything to the steak. Like they just like throw it on a grill and they put a little bit of salt on it. But it's just that that ingredient is, you know, from a very special cow. Yeah. Is, is it really true that they give like uh, the cow some massages while it's listening to classical music? Is that, <laughs> is that a real thing? I feel like there are some places that do it. I don't know how widespread that is. I feel like that's a very special type of thing that I probably couldn't afford. But um, the cow itself is mostly it's a breed. I think from what I can understand, like Wagyu, Japanese beef is like a very special breed that is supposedly taken care of very well. I think that there are probably certain places that like massage the cow, like, you know, like give them beer, <laughs> like beer fed beef, I think is a thing. But like, I, that's not something that I've actually had because I feel like I couldn't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> Because here in Montreal, I found some Wagyu beef. And mm. like, obviously, you couldn't find Kobe beef because it's only sold in Kobe. But like the closest is Wagyu beef that we have. It's so expensive. Like we bought this little cut. Like it's like the size of my palm, maybe a little smaller. It was like almost $100. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, like I said, purity of the ingredients is a big thing. So like, in, for example, if you go to Japan, like you can find like melons that are like $100. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. Like fruits that were like grown very specially. And they're like $100. Wow. Yeah. I've seen that. And do they taste better? Like, really? I've never had one. I'm <laughs> I, I just curious. I, I saw the melon and I was like, I want to buy. I just want to know. Like, why is this $100? I need to know. But I, I, I didn't spend $100 on the melon. I'm sure, like, a lot of people that there are people who have, like, you know, analyzed this to, like, say if it's, like, really worth it or if it is really special. But there definitely are, like, fruits that are, or, like, a strawberry that's, like, 20 bucks for one strawberry. That's, mm -hmm. it's, like, you see that pretty frequently, I think, throughout the country. Wow, you gotta eat very slow, like, to make your money worth it. Yeah, yeah. I know you have to appreciate like the little bites I also think that that's part of it is like appreciating like the purity of it in like small quantities like serving sizes there are also obviously very very different than the United States they're much smaller I think it's also quality over quantity to an extent and do you think they also associate uh, the purity like as in uh, you put less ingredients because they also think it's healthier that might be part of it and that you know you're not you're not like adding anything unnecessary but I also feel like part of it is just appreciating the ingredient for what it is mm -hmm. so you don't want to like alter it you just want to you know have that raw fancy salmon yeah like I was wondering that because uh, it's very strange but in Quebec uh, we pay taxes on food except for food that was untouched so for example fruits and vegetables those are not taxed because the government wanted uh, people to eat eat healthier so mm. non-transformed food um to uh, healthy stuff so that's why I was, uh, I was wondering but I could see if you have just ingredient and it's so excellent by itself it means that it was well done it was well bred and well grown so you wouldn't have to hide it with other sauces or fats or other spices I also think that part of it um for I, that what I've heard especially in relation to like you know the Kobe beef the wagyu the fancy cows is that Japan is small in the first place and it's very mountainous like you know it's mostly covered in mountains so there's not a lot of farmland there's not a lot of places you can raise cows so when you do you know you raise it really 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 well to make <laughs> up for the fact that there's not a lot of it i also wanted to touch up on that because uh, like you said japan is not a very large country so they tend to build very efficiently so even apartments are built in a way that you can put like a lot at a time and it's efficient and even like beds and stuff like like all the hotel rooms that i've been to like they're not designed to be ridiculous they're designed to be uh, practical in the in the States, it's always the culture of having space, of having distance, and also space means luxury, and people are pretty addicted to having, uh, you know, the big yard, parking lots, and they always build horizontally, versus Japan knows and has the technology to build vertically. So do you think that there's also um, a culture of, since you live together, you're also closer, as in closer in friendships, closer in families? That is interesting. 
interesting. Um, well, in Japan, I've said that there is a big emphasis on like the group, you know, like protecting the group versus the individual. So there's almost like the mentality of like, you know, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. It's, you know, kind of uniformity and doing what's best for the group. And that very well may come from the fact that, you know, they're kind of stuck pretty close together. There's only so far for them to go. Whereas in the United States, you know, it's very spread out. Um, there might, there, uh, there might have some roots in it. I know that um, Japan's geography has influenced it a lot and that very well may be part of it. It definitely um, it fits. Like yeah. that mentality fits in what I understand about it. That is so funny that you talk about the conformity because when I went to Japan, it felt like everyone was dressed very formally and as in like respectfully, like you don't walk around in campus in your PJs or in your sweatpants. Like never have I seen that. Like people dress very respectfully and very decent, but also um, like it's not the same fashion as in New York City. Like people don't get eccentric with colors. Like they mostly uh, with ties and they have pencil skirts. So how did you feel about this uh, conformity? Did you think that it could also kill some creativity in terms of clothing? Okay, so that's actually a really interesting commentary. But yes, they are a lot more formal. For example, um, I was told not to wear tank tops. Um, I, as an American, you know, um, wear, from especially someone living in LA, I, lived, I wear tank tops. I wear, you know, skirts that are probably a little bit shorter. Um, so like showing skin, especially for females, is not very normal. I remember one time I wore um, a t-shirt, a very normal t-shirt, but the, like the back dipped a little bit. And like I was told by like a friend, they're like, oh, just like, which is like, which is like old men can see, you know, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah or like I'm told like oh, which is like it looks cool like like literally like like the wet temperature cool when I'm wearing like a something that like dips a little bit mm-hmm. so like they're um on the average it's a lot more conservative than the United States I noticed it especially as a female I think you know having who had to like adjust a little bit my clothing or uh, there's also you mentioned New York there is a very much a culture of like rebellion against that in particular um Harajuku comes to mind it's a it's an area of Tokyo like a district within Tokyo called Harajuku um Gwen Stefani even made a, a clothing line called Harajuku based off of this, <laughs> where it's famous for the eccentric dressing, like where you see girls like, I don't know, wearing like goth Lolita type clothing or like, you know, big puffy skirts and like rainbows yeah. and stuff. Like, yeah, that, that's another aspect of it that's kind of like a counterculture that does exist. Um, it's not very common and it's not very common outside of Tokyo. I'd say like the more you go into like the suburbs or the countryside, like you're not going to really see that kind of thing or you'd be thought very weird of, but that those types of counterculture fashions are there. When I was 16, I wore something that I thought was it's called gyaru which was like a style of like kind of eccentric and like known for like long eyelashes and like kind of almost a Japanese imitating a western look Mm -hmm. so like blonde hair um, blue contact long eyelashes fake lashes um, that kind of thing in addition to like clothes that's a little eccentric and I did like my cousin bought me an outfit that we called like my gyaru outfit that I thought was kind of funny like I'm kind of embarrassed about this now but like I was 16 and I thought it was really cool (laughs) (laughs) did you wear that on a streets as well i wore it in tokyo like in tokyo it's a little bit more common i wouldn't have worn that in like my mom's hometown or anything (laughs) that was crazy (laughs) yes you're right i found that so interesting that uh people when they're born or maybe when they grew up with this conservative and very restricted uh culture they also tend to rebel like the most this is where you find the craziest fashion like i went to uh this corner of Tokyo I don't remember what it's called but they have a, a cabaret for robots and oh yeah I've heard of that like and all the people like dress like crazy like insane like I've never seen like so many costumes and you're like is this a person or is this a machine like <laughs> Yes, definitely there. Like, you know, the really, like, even by American standards, very outlandish outfits, like styles. It's it's definitely there. But like I said, it's a very specific counterculture that is typically found in like the big cities, I'd say. But um, it it exists. (laughs) 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you have any friends that were into cosplay? In the cosplay? Not in Japan specifically. I do in the United States, actually. But I didn't have any. Um, I have a cousin who is kind of an interesting guy. He's um, like a street performer in Japan. He, he, he lives in Tokyo. Like he's from my mom's hometown. You know, like I mentioned, all of her siblings stayed in their hometown and had a more traditional like life. But, um, I have one cousin who moved to Tokyo to become a street performer. And um, he, you know, dresses a little bit ex definitely eccentric by Japanese standards. And he does like, I don't even know what it's called like juggling with the ball with balls that like it kind of looks magical like they're just kind of smoothly going from hand to hand <laughs> so that's my cousin <laughs> that's so funny it's interesting i've seen him perform he's very good but um it's it's very like it's very untraditional what he does by japanese standards and compared to the like rest of my family it's very it's, it's kind of out there but i have seen him perform because um he, he lives in tokyo and i was in tokyo so i've seen him okay so talking about those professions like can you tell us more about what is the definition of a very successful profession profession um japanese hiring process is very regulated in a way that's very different from the west i'd say so for example your senior year of college essentially you're going to get you, you have to get recruited like you have to get recruited during your senior year of college there's a very um regulated schedule where during i don't remember exactly what time of the year but during a certain time of the year you have to start applying you have to start going to like group interviews you have to start going to meetings for people who are interested in the company to show your interest and it's very regulated and if you don't get hired directly out of college it's essentially like you failed um oh. yeah yeah you, you failed if you didn't get um it's it's really hard to get a job once that time period has passed then you essentially i've been told have to like go to like grad school or something get some kind of other degree to give yourself another shot around because they basically only recruit during that time period and so it's there's a lot of stress like i was there in college and there was a lot of stress on like the seniors who were trying to figure that out and like you know going constantly going to group interviews group meetings um trying to make sure that they are not someone who failed uh you don't choose the company you want to work for like they chose you um to an extent i think you can and i mean you can obviously deny and you can choose which companies you apply to so obviously you should probably be focusing on companies that are in of interest to you but there is such a emphasis on making sure you get chosen during that time that most people you know cast such a wide net that they're very desperate to kind of just take what whoever will take them at that point it, it happens pretty frequently um there's actually a really interesting video that was very popular of this process where it kind of shows you know college kids who have like dyed hair and like kind of wear cool clothes and then suddenly it's like oh it's time to do shukatsu which is that process of job interviewing and then like you know they have to put on the, the suits and like they have to ha their hair has to be black they have to be very uniform and they have to go suck up to all of the managers and stuff it's like it's very depressing but it's, it's i think that that video is pretty emblematic of that that process yeah and what happens if you want to become an entrepreneur i've never met anyone who had that problem it's not i don't think it's very common like i said i have someone like my cousin who went off to be a, a street performer so it happens but um you are very much seen as like kind of outside of the norm outside of i guess the average society almost breaking away from that process is kind of rare and i'd say almost a difficult thing to do because there's a lot of societal pressure on you to not fail out of that recruitment process yeah it also seems like the risk-taking part is less than in the states like you know how in the states like you always like encouraged to do whatever you want to follow your dreams and to live basically the american dreams but it's like in japan like don't risk that because you might fail it and you might bring shame i think that that's definitely part of it like there is an emphasis on making sure that you succeed and there's a very regulated process in which to do that so kind of straying outside of that I'd say is disincentivized. It's not 
you know, it's, it's, a, it's a risk and it's scary. So you have to be a very special kind of person, I think, to face that. And, you know, even in the craziest uh, professions, just like people working in the, like, you know, the, the J-pop, like they're also yeah. very regulated. Like even their diets are really regulated or their outfits, their measurements, like their dating life. So like, yeah, even, yeah. like where you're supposed to uh, be a role model in the end, like you're still pretty restricted and you only have to show like a facade of yourself. Yes, yes. I, I, I've heard of all of that with the, J, the J-pop industry. It's true. Like it's, it is very regulated. And I think that a lot of Japan kind of is, that's kind of, kind of what turned me off from working there. You know, I said, I was kind of open to the idea of working there when I first went and then eventually decided against it. That was part of it was that very regulated work culture is kind of what turned me off from it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if I could handle it. And uh, nowadays with our current generations, um, how did you feel about people and their approach to religion? Like you were mentioning that they still fit and respect the elders a lot, but like, is it true with uh, religion and certain rituals? I'd say in Japan, they're vast majority agnostic. They follow a lot of religious Shinto and Buddhist religious rituals. Japan is like an interesting mix of Buddhist and Shinto where they ex- coexist. It's often like Shinto in life. So like my parents had a Shinto wedding and Buddhism and death, like my grandfather, when he passed away, they had a, a Buddhist funeral. Um, they're very closely interconnected and they don't really conflict with each other. But in terms of people in our generation actually believing it from what I can tell most of them don't actually like believe in it but you know they follow it culturally they like going to the shrines when I was there I went to a lot of shrines you put um, a coin in the offering what do you call it, the offering box for the gods and like you ring a bell to ask kind of for their favor there's a big culture of they're called mamori which is like charms that you buy from temples to like protect you and they have like very special charms where it's like you can buy a charm to study well to do well on your test or to good luck and love like they have very specific like good luck charms that you can buy from like temples and I you know I collected these because I thought they were kind of cool. Yeah, um, I find people superstitious overall. I think it's a little bit of superstition, but um, kind of on almost a cultural level rather than religious, you know, it's kind of like adhering to these traditions of like going to the temples and, you know, buying these charms and, you know, offering to the gods and stuff almost out of culture rather than an actual like religious belief it seems a little bit different than actual religion for most people obviously there are some people who are you know religious and subscribe to it a little bit more seriously but overall i'd say it's pretty lax you know it's, it's almost cultural yeah can you tell us about valentine's day oh <laughs> valentine's day in japan is girls are supposed to give boys they like chocolate yeah <laughs> oh yeah um, I, I, I always that find that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. But there's also, it's called White Day, which comes a month later, where um, the boys are supposed to give you white chocolate if they like you back. <laughs> so that's like another big thing. Um, I, I, I gave my boyfriend, I made him chocolate. You're supposed to make homemade chocolates if it's like, you know, the real deal. There are different types of chocolates. There's like chocolates that you make because you actually like someone or from like your, your heart. And then there's chocolates that you give out of obligation. It's called the like giri choco, where like, you know, you give it to like your coworkers or your boss or something. They're like, yeah, you're like, you know, someone who you have to give it to out of obligation there's like different types of chocolate you have to give and so if you don't like chocolate you have you cannot respectfully decline you have to take them and you have to eat it in front of them and be like see uh thank you so much i don't know if you have to um i would think it was it would be pretty rude to not take someone's chocolate if they gave it to you but i mean obviously with a lot like girls giving a boy like chocolate it's kind of like a confession of like i like you so you know how they respond to that i feel like it's kind of a little bit of an answer to that question so they should probably <laughs> proceed with caution 
Yeah, for sure. But in general, do you think it's um, it's easier to date in Japan or in the States? Dating in Japan is a little bit interesting in that I don't think it's too common. It's not as common, I think, especially like among younger people. Like I went there once when I was 16 and I was told by a lot of people that like, oh, like dating like in high school is like not very common. Um, I went again in college and I didn't see too much of it. I think it's a little bit like, I don't know about, not not taboo, that's not the right word, but it's a little bit less prominent than it is in the States. Like you don't see too many people who are like engaging in it. I mean, Japan is like, as I've mentioned before, is on like the verge of like a population collapse. And that's yeah. part of Yeah, yeah like, like you know, one of the highest rates of virgins under 30, I think. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're on the verge of a huge population collapse. In fact, the Japanese government has like sponsored a dating website to like try to fix this. Yeah, it's real. It's true. It's true. Are you serious? Yeah, there's, there's a government sponsored like the dating website I've heard about where like they were trying to fix this problem. But um, I don't know. Part of it is like I, we've talked a lot about like the work culture being kind of repressive and like strict and regulated and making it hard for people to have families. So like I feel like that has influenced it from what I can tell where it, it's hard to have a family and like kind of understand understanding that in the future a lot of people like younger people in Japan will say that they're not interested in dating almost like it's pretty common to meet people who'll say that I'm just not like not interested wow. so it's, it's, it's di- yeah no it's different I remember being a little bit like because in like a high schooler in America it's like all anyone talks about but it was kind of when I asked about it in Japan they're like no we don't really we don't do that <laughs> not, yeah, not, it's, it's, it's not that common mm-hmm. yeah they seem to put like work or school grades like in front of dating yeah yeah obviously I mean there's um you know there's variations within individual pe- within individual people within Japan but as a whole it's like compared to America, I'd say it is very much like work and studying and stuff have to come first. For sure. Yeah, that's really awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your experience here with us uh, about your trip to Japan and about like your family in general. Would you have a last advice for our listeners today? So my advice about choosing nationality when given an option between more than one is just go with the country where you feel like you could work more comfortably like that was the huge decision with me in Japan is just that I didn't I didn't see myself working comfortably there and since that's what you're going to have to do for most of your life I'd say look into that culture a lot it's very true because like it also gives you access to job opportunities like where you stay and so it's pretty important that you know where you spend your eight hours a day or more <laughs> yeah exactly and in a country like Japan where it might be more than that eight hours a day <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of people who want to work there but just maybe be aware yeah thank you so much for coming here i hope to have you soon yeah thank you early if you love the podcast you can check out my blog education monsters it's education-monsters.com you can also support my project on multicultural education by donating on my patreon page the link is posted below If you make a donation, you could have a shout-out on my next article or podcast. You could also choose the subject of my new article or podcast. And if you need French or English lessons, meet me on the italki platform. I'll put the link below. Shoot me a message as well if you'd like to be a guest on my podcast. And may today be the best day of your life. Bye.